0: Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com.
1: What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- Put
2: that in. I don't f- So the tribe drops its third this district, six to one to the Rangers, For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got, one goddamn hit.
3: ever put out in the 100 years of the present
0: time sell the team John Pielli here, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, hour two of the radio program. Don't forget to check out johnpielli.com, where i got all my interviews, all my show archives, and as well as Base the Empty blog, which is my blog where I talk everything going on, in baseball, conventional, to the historical things going on in the game. Tweet at me at john underscore Of course, we keep the program interactive. I had a chance while I was down in Bradenton to speak with the Pirates closer Jason Grilly, who was an all-star last year and, of course, has had a transformation from being a guy that was just about out of the game due to his knee operations, serious stuff that he was going through, Uh, he almost hung it up. And the guy ended up... uh, with the persistence, uh, gave it everything he's got. He got himself back, went through some rough roads along the way. But in doing so, he wrote a book called Just My Game, which pretty much summarizes all his struggles and everything that he went through to get to the point where he's at right now, uh, closing games in the ninth inning for the Pirates. Uh, Obviously one of the established closers in the game. He's got a full year under his belt. Uh, He's one of the more feared right-hand relievers in all of Major League Baseball. And he's got the book out, Just My Game. Check it out. It's out on Amazon.com. And of course, uh, can be found just pretty much any way on paperback when it comes out. Um, hopefully, you guys enjoy this spot with Jason Grilly, uh one of the solid relievers, one of the better relievers in all of the National League. Good afternoon, this is John Fieli. I'm happy to be joined by All-Star
1: relief pitcher Jason Grilley. Thanks for having a couple minutes, buddy. Absolutely, John. Hey, uh, first question. Uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, I know some answers. I don't know some answers. Tell us a little bit about your biggest inspiration in writing the book that you.
3: Well, it's just—it's uh, actually more of a personal journal for my boys. Uh, when I was down and out, I thought my career was over. I'm rolling around on the ground um, in, in Goodyear, Arizona, when I was with the Cleveland Indians two weeks into spring training. Um, you know, a lot of things kind of came full full blast in my head, and I just started writing. And it was more of a personal journal for myself to kind of get through a tough time and then also to not forget some of the stories that i thought were going to be just my memories of this career that i longed for and uh my personal journal turned into you know about a hundred some odd pages without a lot of detail and uh you know, I was provoked to and encouraged to to write this book. I was reluctant to do so to turn over some of my personal uh, writings, but I figured, you know, if it's good enough for my sons and inspires one kid out there that, that wants to live the lifestyle that you know live the dream like I'm living out here, uh, you know, why not why not listen to what these other people are telling me to do? Yeah, no, very true. I tell you, what, what's fascinating about
1: you know getting a chance to talk to you off the air was your journey, what you went through. It's almost like you did see the end result which you see right now and I'm sure like reading the book will be about the, the journey of where you were what happened in the middle that almost ended it all and then what you became but what fascinates me is the fact that I think you saw the
3: ending that you're seeing right now all, all the yeah I just I've always just wanted that opportunity I've always just wanted that chance uh, someone to believe in me and uh, if I failed with the opportunity that I was given then that, that was on me um, so I, I couldn't have anybody else to blame I uh, I got to say, Clint Hurdle has been the biggest uh, asset and in person in my corner because, uh, long story short, I actually had a, a loaded conversation with him in Colorado back after I got traded. Uh, um, I traded from Detroit to Colorado and met in short right field, headed out to BP, just getting settled uh, from coming from Detroit. Actually, I was in New York when I got traded playing the Yankees and I left, shot up to Detroit and flew out from Detroit to Colorado and uh, you know, besides the the typical, how you doing, your family need uh, help, you settled in good, anything you need, just let me know, he kind of asked me a loaded question right then and there: is what do you want out of your career? And I was like, wow, are you serious? Or are, we, are we being superficial? He's like, no, I'm dead serious. So I had that conversation that I've been waiting to hear asked, a question I've been at, waiting to ask for a long time in the sense that... Uh, he asked the question. Many people maybe asked that question but he was actually listening, and uh, I think that's what separates Hurdle from some of the other coaches and managers that I've had is that, you know, he saw something in me by, by what I responded to that question to him that day. And, uh, I tell you, man, it's going to kind of transfer me into
1: talking about baseball a little bit. Do you think, do you look at that as the moment that might have been
3: a, a turning point in regards to your, you getting yourself back to where you are right now? Uh, I think it's a definitely uh, on the on the, the timeline, yeah, timeline. Yes. Pivotal, pivotal moment uh, because like I said it wasn't even that particular moment when I was a Rocky I had to still work my way to the back end of the bullpen I just told him that day I know I can do this yeah. but with, with the economics of baseball with um, you know with the experience that I didn't have but I knew with or without it I still could do that job and, and my, my answer I'll tell you my answer to him is why I knew I could do that job was because I can hold inherited runners and I said I've been the best in baseball Uh, um, One of the best, if not the best, with a 72% inherited runner uh, clip rate, you know, I said, I'm holding runners at a 72% clip. I said, imagine what I can do with a clean (laughs) inning. And that's why I think middle relievers, I'm always turning that spotlight, now being a closer, back to the middle relievers to say, these guys can be closers too. Whether they can or not, that's up to them if they want to, but every middle reliever wants to be that. My dreams about being that last guy on the on the mound for the ninth inning. I'm able to do that now, in part thanks to Clint Hurdle, because you know we came full circle. I, I went to a couple other teams and organizations before I became a Pittsburgh Fire. You remember that. I, I wound up being, this, when I first came over here, the sixth, seventh guy. Then I was the setup guy for hand-in-hand, and I and traded hand-in-hand after I had some great, yeah, became the closer. So, My belief, I always believed in me, you know, it sounds as narcissistic in in some people's minds but I said, I really did, if I'm not confident in what I'm able to do, no different than you know a good chef is and making the greatest meal that he knows he can make, that's what I believe and any of us have to believe when we put on this uniform is, I'm, I'm a competitor, I'm going to believe that I'm one of the best, I know I'm one of the best in the world. I just wanted the opportunity to see if I could be one of the best in the position of a closer in the game. And I was able to do that.
0: Once again, John Pielli here with All-Star Closer, Jason Grilley, the author of the book, Just My Game. Uh, don't forget to check out Amazon.com, many different ways to get this book. Once you read it, you're absolutely going to be intrigued about this guy's life, everything that he's gone through to get up to back to the major league level, where he was, where he belongs, and you know, hopefully you guys get to check it out. Once again, Just My Game is Jason Grilley's book. Two more
1: questions. But um, your, your lowest point, Jason, a, in your career as you're going through, obviously, the operations, the, the seriousness of everything you're going through, when were you at your absolute low point?
3: So, uh, well, probably when, you know, it took me 20 minutes to get off the bed to go to the restroom in a hotel all by myself in Arizona, and I call it my Incredible Hulk moment. It's in the book. I really looked at myself so deeply into the back of my brain to just say, do you have this in you? Because you know what it's going to take to overcome and come back from, I'm 34 years old, uh, it's not an arm injury, but they didn't know if I was going to go walk right again yeah. from what I was told. Dr. Stedman, thank God the Indians were gracious enough to send me to the world's best knee yeah. surgeon. Um, but I remember sitting in the it, it, with tears in my eyes of, and, of fury, you know anger, uh, every emotion you could possibly think that I was literally trying to rip the sink out of the out of the wall, saying, "Why is this happening to me? And okay, let's go. It was all that all that that pent- up emotion. Um, uh, good and bad and different. It was just like, no, you're going to make it back, and you're going to show people that they've discounted you. Probably a lot of people have discounted you. from saying that his career's over. In my my opinion, they had to rip this jersey off. They're going to have to rip it off until I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah <so.
1: laughs> that's a great attitude to have, man. I thought you, you're, you know, your story and what you've done is very inspirational to a lot of other people, and that's why you know, like I think it's fantastic that you put the book out and everything. Your your father's team, the former major. League of course one thing that he taught you about being a major leader or through your path of what you went for well,
3: my dad's been knowing my dad um, you know growing up a son of a big league uh, pitcher definitely has its advantages but my dad's my best friend um we call and talk about life um the in and in outs and innuendos of baseball is just another bonding thing that we have to talk about but um, you know I think we've not to be sacrilegious but baseball was a that religion second religion in our house and uh, to this day I don't know anybody that loves baseball more than my father, so it's easier to have those conversations. And one thing he's he's always said to me and I think it just equates to the the, the, the name I represented upon the top of my back and on the back of my jersey is just, you know, love and respect the game, but there's also with that comes the love and respect for your namesake and your family and I try to carry that out on the mound with me. Yeah, absolutely. Listen Chase, I really appreciate you
1: getting
0: a chance to talk to you. I definitely look forward to reading the book. Well oh, thank you John once again, a book's called Just My Game. Basically, Jason Grilley's story of how he was almost out of baseball and everything that he went through, uh, living his life, trying to get through, where the doctors told him he wasn't going to be able to throw again because of the problems with his knees and the fact that he was having a hard time walking. And the fact that this guy is up there pitching at City Field last year is is a great story. Not only the the fact that the guy was able to do it after the major injury, but the strength and determination that this guy ends up going through with all these troubles and it could have been so easy for him to just sit back and say, "All right, I gave up my best but unfortunately the injuries got me. This guy's got some time left and if it wasn't for the determination that he has within himself, he wouldn't have been able to get to where he got through. So, great story there. Don't forget, Amazon com. Many different ways to get a hold of the book. It's called Just My Game and it's going to be released shortly. Of course, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, hour two of the radio program. We're going to continue with my 30 to 1 MLB countdown previews. And we got a chance to touch on some teams in the first hour, and we're going to touch on a majority of the other ones. So I want to get ourselves to the top ten, and we could do one through ten next week after the season has already started. But, you know, we talked a little bit about the Phillies, and we talked about the Baltimore Orioles. And now we're going to talk about a team that I think is going to be do much better than what people expect. And I'm waiting for the tweets. Tweet at me at John Let me know what you think. Um, this is my sleeper team. I don't think this is a team that's going to go out there and win a World Series or get into the playoffs, but I think they're going to do much better than people expect. And that's the Chicago Cubs, who are ranked in a countdown number 17. I've learned to keep my reach picks to a minimum, but now I'm believing in the Chicago Cubs. You can make the case the Orioles, Phillies, Pirates, Indians are all more talented and should be ranked higher than the Cubs. You could be correct, um, mate, but you know, not always the most talented teams or the teams that are projected to finish the best – end up finishing the best on paper but why am i higher on the cubs than in years past i think the cubs will see a lot from their top prospects this season javier Baez hit 37 home runs last year that's an upgrade already jorge solaris the ability to be a cesspitus or a puig in f- as regards to a center fielder mike olt is acquired from the cubs in the matt garza trade should be ready to start the season at shortstop until number one draft pick number two overall last year chris brian is ready that could happen this season now, listen, they, they ended up bringing in Justin Reggiano from the Marlins. They got a legitimate center fielder, a guy with 298, eight home runs, 50 RBIs, Jason Hamill, James McDonald, guys that could help out in a rotation. The question is, what do the Cubs have to build on? Uh, Jeff Samarja, Travis Wood, two guys may not have wowed you with their one loss record, but both pitched very well and are considerable one and two starters on this staff. Edwin Jackson, despite losing 18 games, is going to give you 200 innings. Uh, they have a chance with some younger pitchers, uh, uh, Chris Racine, uh, Jake Arrieta, could kind of uh, back up the end of the rotation. Jason Hamill, like I said, was brought over to probably be, God, it's going to get some some innings and be able to throw the ball a little bit, but the lineup to me is the key for the Cubs. I think the Cubs can make a huge difference in what they could do offensively with some very serviceable starting pitching. Um, they're going to have two lineups here, let's be honest. Some of the guys I mentioned aren't going to be up at the team opening day. It's not reasonable to expect any of these guys to be up there in an the opening day lineup. So their lineup opening day is going to have Darwin Barney at second, Starlin Castro at short, Reggiano in center field, followed by Anthony Rizzo at first base. Nate Shearholz, who had a very good season last year, will bat behind him. Then Ulter, Luis Valbuena, will be at third. Wellington Castro will be catching, and Lake will be in left field. Now, by midseason, I got this lineup. Rogiano in left, Soler in center, Rizzo at first, Baez at short, Brian at third, Shareholders or Olt in right, Castillo catching, Castro moving over to second base. I think the Cubs are going to make some significant strides this year, and I expect them to be a lot better of a team. Their bullpen, yeah, it's going to be a question mark. Kevin Gregg, who saved 33 games last year, is still a free agent, and the, the Cubs are going to go with Jose Veras, a guy who I don't think is a closer. Uh, by the midseason or the end of the season, I could see a guy like a Arrodes Vizcaino, Pedro Strope, Justin Grimm, uh, kujuji Fujikawa. I think these are guys that are probably be pitching the ninth inning before the season. New manager Rick Grenaria I think is going to get hit some time here, but I think this team will perform a little better in its first season than it does down the road. Uh, the team is going to struggle, obviously, and he'll get the benefit of the doubt as the young players will have some time to develop and get them signed, ready on the Major League roster to contribute. The Cubs had a chance to surprise, but they could also struggle. Vegas has their over-under at 69.5 for a team to finish 66-96 and 96 last year. I understand why the over-under is where it is, but I think the team will overachieve. I got them at 80-82. 80-82. and, 82. 80 and 82. And you're going to say, hey, that's crazy, but I think they could finish third place in the NL Central and be one of the major surprises in all of Major League Baseball. This time next year, the expectations are going to be raised. There's no question about it. But moving on to number 16, the 30-1 MLB countdown previews. Check it out on JohnPelli.com. Base empty blog, the whole thing. Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners could be considered paper champions this year. They went out there and they signed Robinson Cano. They're a team that spent a little bit of money this year. They traded for Logan Morrison. They signed Corey Hart. They signed Fernando Rodney. But uh, rather than in seasons past, I'm not, I'm not buying the team that spent the most money. And it's not me because I learned my lesson. It's just that I don't think there's enough in a Seattle team to think they're going to be a legitimate playoff contender. Now, a team that finished 71-91 and 91 last year has not been competitive since Don Wakamatsu led them to an 85-77 and 77 record in 2009. There is sure a bullseye on the back of this franchise. Critics are going to go after them because they signed Robinson Cano. Uh, Lloyd McClendon was not necessarily the most high-profile managerial candidate there's criticism over that hiring King Felix uh Hishashi Iwakuma who was third in the Cy Young award last year uh there's going to be some expectations I really do believe that so the central criticism of the Cano signing is the fact that there seemed to be little to work with with the rest of the lineup they did sign Corey Hart like I just mentioned Logan Morrison comes in a trade for Carter Capps who goes over to the Miami Marlins Uh, what has hurt this organization is their own organizational prospects. They haven't gotten a job done. Justin Smoke hit 238 last year. Dustin Ackley hit just 253 with four home runs. They're getting another shot this season with Ackley playing the outfield as opposed to second base. Jesus Montero is already in minor league camp. 2012 first-round draft pick Mike Zanino is already up, but has not necessarily established himself. Veteran catcher John Buck gives him a little bit of a tutorage. He helped uh, Travis Darnot in spring training with the Mets last year. And, uh, you know, Darno's is a starting catcher for the Mets. Maybe he could do the same with Zanino. Um, Nick Franklin, like I said in the first hour, lost a job to Brad Miller, who's going to be the everyday shortstop. Kyle Seager was a very good player for them last year. He's one of the few young players that came up there and has established himself already. This lineup, the way it's set up, I like Ackley in it. Like I said, I like Morris Morrison. I like – Corey Hart, uh, I really would have liked to see them go out there and get a Nelson Cruz, that that last little bit of protection to bat behind Cano. But, listen, Hart hit 30 home runs in 2012 before missing last season. If he could be any close to that, I think that's going to be a good spot, a good guy to bat right behind Robin Zicano. You bat Logan Morrison in back of them. I think they could score some runs. You're going to need a little help from Zanino. You're going to need a little help from Ackley. You're going to need Justin Smoke to get his head out of his ass and show what he was supposed to be about three, four years ago. Or this team's going to struggle a little bit. Obviously, you know the strength of this team is their starting pitching. Their starting pitching is going to be phenomenal. I know Hisashi Okuma is a little bit hurt now, so is Taiwan Walker. But those guys are your two and three starters with King Felix as the number one. How are they going to fill out the rotation? Well, Erasmo Ramirez, Blake Bevan, uh, James Paxton, who looked very good at the end of last year, I think is a, almost a lock to make this rotation. Uh, Brandon Maher is a, is a guy that I think could be in the mix as well. Their bullpen, I think, is going to be good. Fernando Rodney comes over from Tampa Bay. I think he's going to be a shutdown guy in the ninth inning. Danny Farquhar, who has pitched for amongst teams, the Yankees organization. Former closer Tom Wilhelmsen will be in the mix. Um, they got some very good left handed setup, man, led by Charlie Ferber. Lucas League, Bobby LaFrance Boys could help out from the left side, and they got right handers like Stephen Pryor, uh, Yoveras Medina. And and they they really do, God, even a guy like Hector Noessi could be either a starter or a reliever. I think the bullpen's going to be okay. Uh, Prediction of the playoffs for the Mariners this season would be like taking the Marlins to make the playoffs in 2012 or the Blue Jays to make the playoffs in 2013. There's a lot that can go right and a lot to, to go wrong, certainly with the chemistry. The Mariners will be challenged differently than these other teams because they have to compete against the likes of the athletics, the Rangers, and the Angels in our own division. If they can win their share of games against those teams, I think the Mariners can can compete. However, I don't think that this is the year for them to be to be expected to make the postseason, even if they do sign Kedrias Morales. Vegas has them at 81.5 and the over-under as the over under and once again i think they're right on the money i take the over but i'm only going 82 and 80 fourth place in the al west moving forward we got the atlanta braves who are sitting there at number 15 in the countdown and why are they how the nerve of john Pielli to pick the atlanta braves to be the 15th out of 30 teams in all of major league baseball how can i go that far but listen teams fluctuate year to year Obviously, I'm going with the Nationals to win the National League East. I think that team is that good, and they've separated themselves. But what is about the Atlanta Braves that I'm thinking that they're to be down on them? This is a team that did a very good job last year. They got off to a great start. They got some very good pitching. They got some very good offensive players led by Freddie Freeman and Jason Hayward. You got the Upton brothers. You got Angleton Simmons, Chris Johnson, Evan Gaddis. Why is this team predicted to finish 15th out of the 30 teams? I, I got to be honest. I'm concerned about their pitching. Let's look at what happened to Chris Medlin and Brandon Beachy. Medlin's out for the season with Tommy John. Beachy may very well have Tommy John surgery. These are the two guys that you expected to be part of the mix this year with Mike Minor and Julio Teheran, and they didn't re sign Tim Hudson. And I think they felt they had enough depth in the staff that they were going to be okay without Hudson. Yes, they go out there and they sign Urban Santana, which I think was an outstanding signing for them. Not only did they have to make up for the loss of Medlin and Beachy, and even if Beachy doesn't have Tommy John surgery, he is going to be out for a significant period of time. They have to make up for the loss of Hudson. And in my opinion, Santana makes up for the loss of Hudson, but you still have two pitchers that you're down. So if you go with Urban Santana and you go with, uh, minor and then followed out with Teheran in any order you want to you still got to fill two spots in the rotation one of them's probably going to be filled by Gavin Floyd who I think is going to be okay but the number 5 spot is not going to go to Paul Mahom who signed with the Dodgers uh, you got Freddie Garcia, who's essentially on his way out. Alex Wood, the left-hand pitcher, is probably the favorite to get that last spot. I don't think the Braves have enough starting pitching. Offensively, let's be honest, Angelton Simmons was one of the better breakout players in all baseball. He's one of the top shortstops in all the game. Freddie Freeman, 319, 23 homers, 109 RBIs, and Simmons got themselves new extensions from the Braves based on what they did last year. Ryan Domick comes over from the Minnesota Twins. He's going to compete with Evan Gaddis to be the everyday catcher, likely Gattis Gattis. will be a catcher. Likely, Domit will be playing in the outfield as kind of an extra guy off the bench. Veteran catcher Gerald Laird is going to be huge for this team because whoever they have catching is going to need that veteran defensive presence to play late in games. Here's the lineup. I mentioned the guys before. Hayward in center. Simmons at short. Justin Upton in right. Freddie Freeman at first. Ryan Domit at left. Gaddis catching Johnson at third. Tyler Pasternicki will probably get the edge over Dan Ugla at, at second base. Ugla is a guy that could certainly be a factor this season. He's got to get himself hitting well, similar to what I said about Justin Smoke. He's got to get his head out of his ass, start hitting the way he's capable of. The other lineup, if you want to put B.J. Upton in there and Ugla, will look like this. Hayward in right, Simmons at short, Upton, Justin in left. Freeman at first, Doman and Gaddis catching. Johnson at third, Upton, BJ in center, and Uggle at second. The Braves bench should be okay. Guys like Jordan Schaefer, Joey Tardasevich, Jose Costanza can all play. Romero Pena is going to be the backup infielder with Pastronicki. Obviously, the Braves' are, position of strength is what they have at the closer position. Craig Kimbrell is the best in a game. Guys like Luis Avion, Drew Carpenter, Jordan Walden are all guys that are going to be expected to get them the ball. Avion and Carpenter were phenomenal last year. I do expect them to not be as dominant as they were last year. Another issue I have with the team. Guys like Walden, Anthony Vivaro, Corey Guerin are going to be expected to take steps this year to offset what is going to be a little bit of a digression from Avion as well as Drew Carpenter. The Braves, listen, obviously you know about Kimbrel. He's going to be Kimbrell. Manager Freddie Gonzalez, he has not been proven to be the greatest in-game manager. I think if the games are a little more competitive and the decisions are going to have a little more impact on the outcome of the game, I don't trust him in a big spot. Now, if the team had Medlin or Beachy, I think they could do well. They're not going to. I think the Braves are more of a middle of a pack team than a division favorite. I see them being in a wild-card race, but finish on it on the outside looking in before the season end. Vegas is a little down on the Braves as well. They won 90-plus games last year. Vegas has them at 87.5. I'm going less than that. I think 82-80, and 80, they could finish with the same record as the Seattle Mariners. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. What we're going to do is take a break, and then we're going to jump back in to the countdown. 30-1 to MLV previews brought to you by John Pielli. Dot com bases Empty blog and, of course, can be found on mtrmedia.com slash Right back after this. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to mtrradio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. I always wanted to work in sports, kind of got sidetracked in college, then ended up in a job and, and realized I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. Researched CSB and ended up making you know one of the better decisions in my life.
2: Want to be part of the exciting world
0: of sports broadcasting? You've got to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbro Heights, New Jersey. There's no stalling here. You start learning from day one, how to use the camera, learning what you're supposed to be doing on camera, getting into the radio booth, DJing. But the biggest thing for me from CSB, they helped me get my foot in the door in two of the best internships in the city. Nothing about the job gets old. It's, it's The good thing about sports is every night's a little bit different. we place thousands of grads for nearly 50 years. Contact us today. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com.
1: Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses. In Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1 800 TV Radio or visit gocsb.com.
0: Bases Empty Vlog. Go ahead, laugh.
3: Laugh all you want, but the fact of the matter is, this is this is the setting for the greatest
0: story ever told, okay? Bases Empty Blog. Bases Empty Blog. Bases Empty Blog. Bases Empty Blog. base is empty block oh yeah welcome back john pielli passball show mtr radio network of course we're working on 30 to 1 mlb countdown previews check it out on john whatever your favorite team is read there see what i think about it see what i analyzed about what happened last year and what could happen this year and of course tweet at me at john underscore Pielle. any feedback anything you got going on but we made it up to number 14 right now and that's in my opinion, the Tampa Bay Rays, and I really had a big debate with this because I was thinking in my head what team is going to come out of the American League East and win the division number one and number two, win a wild card spot. And the way the two divisions are set up with the American League East and the American League West, there's a lot of firepower towards the top of each division. And I'm going to be safe. I'm going to pick a wild card winner out of each one of the two divisions instead of saying one, one division is going to have two wildcard winners. That obviously means one team is on the outside looking in in the American League East, and one team is going to be on the outside looking in in the American League West. We're talking about Yankees, Red Sox, Rays in the East. We're talking about Athletics, Angels, and Rangers in the West. So I got one of those teams in and one of those teams out in each one of the two divisions. The Rays... To me, by the narrowest of margins, missed out in the American League East, and I and I don't think it's because they're not talented. I think they have a very good team. Their pitching is phenomenal, but I thought about bumping the Yankees. I thought about bumping the Red Sox, and actually even thought about bumping the Red Sox a little bit more than I thought about bumping the Yankees. But in the end, I just have a little bit of concern about the Tampa Bay Rays, what they could bring to the table offensively. Now. I envisioned a scenario where the Rays made the playoffs. Like I said, with the log jam, uh, I think three of the next four teams are, are going to be in the American League 14, 13, 12, and 11. So three of those next four are going to be American League teams. There's a lot of talent in the American League. Let's be. The absolute strength of this team is their starting rotation. Remember, Roberto Hernandez was in a rotation last year. There was no question he wasn't coming back because of the depth that they have. David Price, who won the Cy Young Award a couple of years ago, seems to be back in form. Jeremy Hellickson is a guy that might even be expendable based on the way this rotation sets itself up. Matt Moore is coming back. Alex Cobb. Hellickson, like I mentioned, but also Chris Archer. Cobb and Archer pitched as well as anybody in the American League at the end of last year. Remember, Hellickson pitched to over 5 ERA. Expect him to be better than that. Don't be swayed by those numbers. Now, they, they had Fernando Rodney as their closer last year. They let him walk. They traded for Heath Bell. They got him from Arizona, thinking he was going to be the closer. Then they added Grant Balfour. Grant Balfour coming in is an upgrade over Rodney, I think, even though he's a little bit older. But the rest of the bullpen is going to have Joel Peralta, Jake McGee, Cesar Ramos, Juan Carlos Alvito, formerly Leo Nunez, I think can make an impact for this team this year. So the bullpen and a starting rotation are phenomenal. I think they're going to be great. Now, here's what I see offensively. I think they could go out there and they could provide some offense, led by Will Myers, the rookie of the year. You know about him. Uh, Evan Longoria is their franchise player, the likely number three hitter. Hit 32 home runs last year, but an 842 OPS is something that I think he could do better with. They're going to need him to improve. Uh, James Loney, who they brought back on a new contract. He's joined in the middle of the order by Myers and Ben Zobrist. People continue to state that Zobrist is the greatest player in the world due to his intangibles. I like Zobrist, but I feel strongly that many overstate that case. Desmond Jennings, I think, is going to be better. David DeJesus is a guy who's a journeyman type of player, can be the every, an everyday outfielder, allowing Matt Joyce to D.H., Yanel you know, Escobar, I think, is a guy that could do a very good job this year. He could improve. He's, he's also playing for a contract. Uh, infielders Logan Forsyth and Sean Rodriguez fourth size was taken over from the Padres in a trade for a left-hand pitcher. I think he's going to be pretty good as a bench player, and Ryan Hannigan comes over from the Reds in a trade to be their everyday catcher and split time with Jose Molina. In spite of Hannigan's 198 average last year, I do think he's an upgrade over Jose Lobaton, who ended up being traded. But here's here's the, the prognosis of what I see with the Rays. Joe Madden's going to win games because he's Joe Madden. He's probably the best manager in the game. I think he's got the backing of his players like no one else. Winning 92 games is possible, but I think the Yankees will be much better than they were last year. The the Rays... According to Vegas, are at 88.5 as they're over under. I think the Rays can be close to that number, but I have the Rays finished in the season at 84 and 78, third place in the AL East. Like I said, they could be interchanged with the Red Sox or the Yankees. If I had to pick one team that I have any outside looking in that I think can make the playoffs, it is the Tampa Bay Rays. Moving forward to number 13 on the 30 to 1 MLB countdown previews, JohnPLA.com, bases empty blog, the whole thing. I go with the Oakland Athletics. And let's be honest, two years ago, I I couldn't have been any more wrong about the Oakland Athletics and Billy Bean. Last year, I had them any the outside looking in. They got themselves better. They won nine, the most games in all the American League. Uh, they were what they were last year. They were great. Uh, Billy Bean went out there, had a very good offseason. He did. There's no question about it. Some of the moves he made, he signed Scott Kazmier from the Indians. He traded for Luke Gregerson. He traded for Jim Johnson. He, he only traded Jamal Weeks and Seth Smith in the process. He got... Outfielder Craig Gentry from the Rangers as well as Nick Punto from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Eric O'Flaherty was signed to a two-year deal even though he's not going to be part of the bullpen at least for the majority of this season, but they got him for next year and O'Flaherty will absolutely help them mid-season whenever he comes back. Their starting rotation looked phenomenal coming into the season and if you looked at the way the Oakland Athletics rotation looked at the beginning of the season, there should be no reason why you don't think that they can win this division. But what has happened? Unfortunately, the injury bug has gotten to him. Prior to these injuries, you were looking at a rotation that was led by Sonny Gray, the emergency add in the postseason, a game he pitched against Justin Verlander, A.J. Griffin, Jared Parker, a top one through three. You add a Kazmir there, and it's it's a phenomenal one through four. Maybe not phenomenal, but a very good one through four. Now, uh, Gray's going to be the ace no matter what. Kazmir is going to back him up with a number two spot. Uh, Tommy Malone, Dan Straley, and interestingly enough, reliever Jesse Chavez is probably going to be the number 5 starter. Why is that? Well, of course, we hear about the bad news involving Jared Parker and his Tommy John surgery is going to have to happen, and he's not going to be there for the rest of the year. A.J. Griffin is a guy that's going to be out for at least a month. He could be out for a significant period of time. If he's out through May, then they're going to have a, a serious part of the season that they're going to have to deal without two of their top three starters. I think Malone and Straley will be pretty good, but Jesse Chavez, to me, as a fifth starter, is not going to get the job done. You're going to have enough issues with Straley and Malone because I don't think they're above average. I think they're very average. They could go out there and make their 28 to to 30 starts and probably pitch about 170, 180 innings. But I think they're not quite what the other guys are that they're making up for. Johnson and Gregerson obviously going to leave a very good bullpen. Ryan Cook, Sean Doolittle, two holdovers that are going to make that team good. Dan Otero was phenomenal last year, pitched to a 138 ERA in 33 games. O'Flaherty as he comes up around mid season obviously makes this bullpen even better off the bets offensive player for the Oakland Athletics of course is Josh Donaldson but he's only making 500,000 this year off of his 2013 season where he hit 301 24 homers 93 RBIs Brandon Moss hit 30 home runs last year Yonanis Cespedes hit 26 last year Coco Crisp hit 22 home runs stole 21 bases and they're going to expect it to be the face of the lineup. I strongly believe, however, that Josh Reddick, who had 226, 12 homers, 56 RBIs, in 114 games, will be closer to his 2012 version, where he hit 242 with 32 home runs and 85 RBIs. He will be a focal point of the offense. The catching situation with Derek Norris and John Jaso, we're going to go back and forth between catcher and DH with Derek Barton, get a little chance to first base when Brandon Moss takes the role of hitting only and not playing the field. Uh, Listen, I've come around to the fact that the Oakland Athletics are a good baseball team. I'm not denying that. Billy Bean has a philosophy that I'm never going to root for. I admit it's worked over the past two-plus season. Initially, I saw the A's as a playoff team once again, but the loss of Parker and maybe even Griffin will make it tough to duplicate 96 wins. 96 is a lot to ask for. Uh, you know, Let me ask Las Vegas. Do they think that the Oakland Athletics are a 96-win team? No. They put their over-under at 88.5. I'm going less than that. I think they'll go 84-78, third place in the American League West. Moving on with the 30-1 MLB countdown previews brought to you by JohnPielli.com. I go with the Cincinnati Reds at number 12. Uh, To to this point, the countdown obviously gets difficult. We're talking about good teams from here on out. We mentioned the, the Rays. We mentioned the Oakland Athletics. Two very good teams, the Atlanta Braves as well. So we're talking about teams that are good that are mentioned in this position. This position is good enough to make the playoffs but I got him on the outside looking in and I'm going with the Cincinnati Reds and they put together of course a solid team led by Joey Votto who won the MVP in 2010 but they lost Shinsu Chu they lost Bronson Arroyo didn't necessarily replace them well and while I was thinking about putting the Reds in the playoffs I decided to keep them out by determining factor was Araldis Chapman that nasty hit he took the line drive to the head if he's out for months the Reds have another hole that they have to fill in addition to the ones that they already expected to see going in. Uh, the, you look at their lineup, led by Billy Hamilton, who stole well over 400 bases in just five minor league seasons and 13 and 13 games for the Reds in 2013. Hamilton getting on base is going to determine how dangerous he will be. Vado, you know, is there. Bruce, you know, is there. Brandon Phillips, who the Sabre matricians hate, I still think is a good player. The left side of the infield features Zach Kozar and Todd Frazier. Ryan Ludwick returns to play left field uh, with Chris Heisey and Skip Schunemacher who came over as a free agent in the mix. Devin Masaraco is going to be the starting catcher with veteran Brian Pena backing him up minor league invitees, Chris Nelson and Ramon Santiago, I think are going to lead to what is a strong bench. The starting pitching, Johnny Cueto has been a guy who's been hurt a lot. If he can come back and be healthy this year, I think he leads a very good rotation with Matt Latos and Homer Bailey. Tony Singrani, the left-hander, and Mike Leak are going to round out the rotation. Chin-Ming Wang I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the mix. Alfredo Simone is a guy that they thought of being a starter, but the Chapman injury puts him in a bullpen, no question about it. Chapman, you know about his numbers, 120 12Ks, 63 and two-thirds innings. Uh, you got guys like J.J. Hoover and Jonathan Broxton who are going to be closing until he's ready. Alfredo Simone's back in the mix. Sam LeCure, Logan Andrusik, left-hander Manny Parra, and don't forget about Sean Marshall, who I wouldn't be surprised to see him closing before it's all said and done until Chapman gets back. I like the Reds this season enough to make the playoffs, but I see him as the last team eliminated in the National League. Next five NL teams that I preview are all in the playoffs. Price is a good choice to be the manager, but I think you could question him leading such a proven veteran team. A team that won 90 games last season should not be far off in spite of the losses of True and Arroyo and the injury to Chapman. Vegas has them at 84.5 as the over-under, and I'll actually take the over at 86-76, and 76, second place in the NL Central. Unfortunately, this leaves them just out, maybe having to play a play-in game to get into the wild card where they lose. I promise I'll continue with the MLB Countdown previews next week. We're going to move right into an interview I've recorded with longtime major league pitcher Kent DeColvey, right hand pitcher, side armor, pitched many years in the league, won the World Series championship with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1979, and pitched, of course, in over a thousand games, and is now a color commentator for the Pittsburgh Pirates on the TV network. So, hopefully, you guys enjoy this spot with former major league relief pitcher and Pirates broadcaster Kent Tekulve.
1: hey John Pielli I'm happy to be over in Bradenton, Florida I'm joined by a longtime major league pitcher and obviously has pitched in over a thousand games Kent Tekulve. Kent thanks for having a
2: couple minutes huh well great it's you uh, yeah it's a beautiful day in Florida and right towards the end of spring training everybody's getting anxious to start the season over and uh, you know I think uh, you know everybody that's involved in baseball is where they want to be right now yeah no question
1: about it I tell you one thing that fascinates me about you is that the story that you have to tell about being a a pitcher who may not have even been the best of his own high school. Uh, you know, through your perseverance, you ended up getting yourself to the Major Leagues. Tell us a little bit about the, the, the beginning for you. Did you envision yourself as a,
2: as a pitcher? It would, did you think that's something that you could have done professionally when you were in high school? Well, I mean, in the beginning, no, I did not. In fact, I didn't envision myself as a, a potential Major League pitcher until I was in Triple A. Actually, you know, just on the doorstep of being there, but uh, no, I mean, uh, you know, I got from my team my sophomore year in high school um, You know, didn't get drafted signed out of a tryout camp all these kind of things you know the odds of somebody doing what I'm doing are almost nil mm-hmm. and uh, yet every time I took a step along the way I didn't take it because I wanted to uh, increase my position in the organization. I did it because I wanted to keep continuing to play. I enjoyed playing the game so much that you know my whole drive and my whole goal wasn't that big league shirt at the end of the day. It was being able to play 140, 150 games in the minor leagues every year and being able to play that much as opposed to if I had a real job, I'd have, you know I'd played once a week on a Sunday in a beer league somewhere. So it was. Uh, uh, it was just the, the love of the game and the enjoyment I got out of playing it. Yeah, so i got to ask you, Ken, while, while you're going through this process, as you're going through
1: you know, high school and eventually getting your, a little bit of a chance here and there, are you contemplating doing anything else for a living? Mm. Or do, you believe, do you believe that this is going to become your career at that young of age, or is this something that you kind of grew into to realize you could, you, you could actually
2: do this? Well, I was very fortunate in the fact that I had my college degree in my back pocket. I okay. um, you know, went to Marietta College, had a degree in teaching and education and uh, was going to be a high school coach and, and a teacher a math teacher so that you know I always had a fall back and uh, you know, that's really what kind of made the whole process a lot easier. It wasn't, baseball wasn't the only goal that I could get to fulfill my life. There were other things there that if baseball didn't work, I could go do. So, uh, yeah, having that degree in your pocket, no matter what line of work you're going into, having that degree in your pocket is definitely a great safety net and uh, not only for the way your life is going to turn out, but also for just your mental stage at the time. You know, you're know, you not going, oh, I have to do this, I have to do this, I don't get good here, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to have to you know, work in a factory or something. And you've already got a, a, a backup career set up. So it, it was very important to me. Now, once again, John Pialy here with Kent Ticholvi. Now, when
1: when you when you, you, you mentioned to me off the air, of a little bit about your first experience pitching down in a lower level of the minors, when when was the moment that stuck to you that you do you remember? Is it a particular game? Was it the entire season? When when did you realize that you, you had what it takes to, to to further yourself and at least know that you, you were going to be doing this for a little while? Well,
2: I, I knew that first year. That I was going to be able to. You know, I was able to compete that first year. Now, part of the reason was obviously I was a kid out of college playing mostly against first or second year players that were out of high school. So I was I was. Two or three years older than everybody I was playing against, number one. But, you know, I had success, I had a good season, uh, you know, good enough to make them bring me back the next year. And then the next year uh, I switched from being a starter to a reliever, went to the bullpen, had a pretty good year that year. They weren't quite sure yet about, you know, if I was good enough or whatever. So I went back to the same league again the next year. And I was basically on the two-year program. I'd go to the league one year. I'd have a good year. They'd send me back. I'd go to that same league again. I'd make the all star team. Mm-hmm. Then they had to then move me up. me up. And then that was about the first five years of my career. That's really what kept me alive in professional baseball.
1: And once again, John Kelly here with Kent DeColby. Another question I want to ask you as you're coming up through here, the coach, whether it was a former player or anything, who was the biggest influence on
2: you as a pitcher? Well, I think, um, you know, my style was pretty much self taught. Okay. Uh, you know, that was. That wasn't really a coach or anything else, but there were a couple of guys in the Pirate organization. Number one was Steve Demeter. He was a, uh, a long-time minor league yeah, player yeah. who played uh, just a little bit in the big leagues. He was one of my minor league managers. He was a huge supporter of mine. There weren't a whole lot of people in the organization who really thought that I could you know, do what needed to be done to get to the big leagues. Steve was one of them. And the other one was uh, Timmy Murtaugh, Dan Murtaugh's son, who was managing in the minor leagues and in, in the Pirate system and uh, those two guys really were the ones that were on my bandwagon and uh, really, you know, basically promoted me through all the meetings, everybody else yeah. is saying, oh, well, yeah, it's what he does, it's not going to work at the next level." And they're saying, I'm, "I'm telling you, he's going to be okay." And uh, so, you know, those two guys really made a difference in my career and my ability to work through the system to get to the major leagues. Yeah. Now, in addition to that, you touched
1: on about your delivery and stuff, first of all, how did you learn it? Yes. And and what 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 came up to you as an idea to pitch the way? Because obviously, it was it was unorthodox. It wasn't it wasn't something that was done by many others, if by anybody at all, where did you come up with the
2: idea or who who taught you to pitch with your delivery in a way that you throw? Well I would say I was a natural sidearmer my whole life. I threw the ball sidearm. Uh, if you remember Bruce a yes. teammate of mine with the Pittsburgh Pirates, when we were going through the minor leagues together, we were basically twin brothers. I mean we threw exactly the same, you know, he threw a little bit harder, I was he was a little bit taller, but you know we had the same type of, same style, and uh, by the time I got to double A I was noticing that, you know, the hitters were starting to get better and they were adjusting to what I was doing and they were making forcing me to throw more better pitches and they were getting more hits and stuff and I needed to do something to adjust. Didn't know what that was, went out, kinda, of, you know, tried to throw three quarter, that didn't work then one day in the outfield, uh, playing catch, I can't remember who I was playing catch with, probably another pitcher, and there was a guy when I grew up in Cincinnati by the name of Ted Abernathy. Ted Abernathy, pitched. he was a journeyman reliever, he pitched for the Cubs, he pitched for the Reds, he pitched for a bunch of different clubs, he threw from down under. And I said, ah, oh, okay, let's see what happened, and I threw one and all of a sudden the bottom just fell out of it. And it was that sinker that just exploded and I went whoa, I, that? I, I think we might have found something here. So, uh, you know, and and the other part of it was I actually threw the ball harder from down there than I did the side. So I picked up velocity, and I picked up movement, the know, that I needed, and the whole package kind of came together for the fastball. Now, the breaking ball took a little longer. It took me a couple of years to feel, really figure out a way to make the breaking ball work from down there. But, uh, you know, the reason why I adopted that style or the style that I was copying was Ted Abernethy, who... Uh, unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet. I always wanted to meet him, say hello, and you know, and tell him the story. And I never got a chance to do that. But uh, that's how I ended up with the submarine styles I did. I said, "How old were you when you when you you, you had this discovery?" Well, let's see. I probably what 26 years old, which is, by most. Most counts, is, uh, at least in today's game, would have been way too old to be in the minor leagues. You know, they, they're focusing on a lot of younger guys. Yeah. So, uh, you yeah, know, I was 26 and I had been around a while, and. Um, it just took a little more convincing to get people to believe that hey this could work and eventually eventually it worked out and they you know they ended up promoting it to the big leagues. And I think this is an obvious question the the change
1: in the in, you know the delivery and stuff saved your career. Had it not been for that
2: maybe you're out of baseball within a year or so. Yeah I probably peak at the double-A level. Um, you know I would have been one of those guys that okay yeah he pitched well in double-A but that's about as far as he can go. Uh, you know you go to triple-A and of course those guys were a little bit better and i wouldn't have been able to survive at triple with the stuff that i was throwing so uh, yeah that was kind of that was kind of the crossroads that took me from being okay and being a pretty good minor league player to being a potential major league player was that drop down and getting finding that spot to release the ball from where i you know where i got that extra movement on the fastball i lived for 15 years on a fastball on a slider and the slider was just you know big wide breaking swerve. so when i was in trouble Everybody in the ballpark knew what was coming. It was gonna be the sinker, it was just a matter of this you go know, it's like a hitter on hit it in the air as opposed to hitting on the ground. <laughs> no, very sure. Once again, John Pielly here with Kent Dicolve and another question I want to ask you about,
1: uh, as you as you get into coaching and you get, you know, to see pitchers on the field, how many how many pitchers have you talked to about maybe uh, implementing your type of delivery with? Because it's it it, it's a different type of motion and like you said, it saved your career. Career, perhaps you come across somebody and say, hey, give it a
2: shot. You never know. We, we've done that a few times with guys that, um, you know, are, are fringe right now and they're looking on the other on their way out. Most of the time that doesn't work only because, you know, somebody that was a natural overhand thrower and was thrown overhand their whole life can't throw that one. Yeah. Uh, you almost have to be a side armor because when you throw overhand, your shoulder rotates up and over when you throw. Your right hip, if you're a right-hand pitcher, rotates up and over. To be a submariner it's just the opposite. Your shoulder rotates down and under and so does that hip. Yeah. So, you know, they can make the arm go down but the, the shoulder and the hip still want to do what they were doing before. Yeah. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys you can do that with. There have been a few over the years that I've worked with, most of which, um, you know, had already started growing that way yeah. and had some success and they kind of asked me about, well, young. Yeah, how can I? How can I adjust this? What can I, I? need to make this happen. I need to make that happen. You got any ideas? You know, I can give them some thoughts that way. But it's really not something you can take anybody in teach them how to do it, and they should be able to do it well. Yeah, no question. Last question I want to ask you,
1: greatest greatest throw on a baseball field, greatest <laughs> moment, I would assume, World Series championship,
2: something like that, but I'm, I'm leaving it up to you. Man. Oh, well, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Any, any player who has ever won a World Series, been on a World Series championship team, uh, will tell you that that is the moment. You know, there are, when players go to spring training every year, as we are right now, you know, there are some guys that want to make the starting rotation, and there are some guys that may want to win a batting title. There are some guys that may want to do this, that, or the other thing. The only one common goal of every player who goes to spring training is they want to win a world championship. So, number one, to win a world championship, and to be you know, one of the main guys on that ball club, that was a thrill. To be able to stand out on the mound and actually throw the pitch for the last out, the fly ball to Omar Marino in left center field, was icing on the cake. You know, how many kids in America, Steve Blass and I talk about this all the time because he did it in 1971. How many kids in America are out in the back throwing a tennis ball against the garage door or against the barn or whatever it is and imagining that they're in the World Series and they're not in the last out? Or if you're a hitter, you know, you're hitting the home run like Phil Maserati did. Um, Millions and millions of kids dream that dream. I was one of the very, very fortunate few that got to live it. So, uh, you yeah, know, that's that's by far the the most special moment of my baseball career.
1: Now it had to be. Listen, Ken, I want to thank you very much for the time. I uh, keep up the good work you do with the broadcasting, and catch you on the Pirates pre-post game. All right, very good. Thanks, man.
0: Great catching up there with Kent DeColvey. And a big thanks to the Pirates organization for allowing me over in Bradenton, Florida to cover a little bit of spring training. Obviously getting a chance to talk to a lot of players involved. And, of course, Kent DeColvey, who's the coach and a broadcaster and a guy that was in uniform and certainly helping out with the Pirates in spring training. So big thanks to Jason Grilly, to Kent DeColvey, and, of course, in the first hour to Vin Mazzaro and Ken Kasperic, for being part of the program. Uh, tune in to johnpiele.com for the rest of the 30 to 1 MLB countdown previews. We got one through 30. You could read just about anyone that you want. Uh, of course, feedback's available. Email me at jrpiele at gmail.com, or you could tweet at me at john underscore All the information is available on my website, johnpiele.com. and of course, my blog Base's empty blog. But big thanks to everybody for being part of the program. Can't wait for opening day. It's only a couple days away, the 2014 season. Is on the way right here on johnpieli.com and the Pass Ball Show. Rock over London, Rock over Chicago, the heartbeat of America, Yesterday Chevrolet.